Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Christ Bible Church in the Twin Cities. I'm Pastor Levi Secord. It is the goal of Christ Bible Church to glorify God by bringing all of Christ into all of life. For that reason, I want you to know that we now offer a second podcast called The Worldview Minute. In it, I seek to demonstrate the universal importance of the Christian worldview by building the theological foundations of our faith and then applying them to all of life. The Worldview Minute aims to produce short, accessible episodes that equip the believer to declare that Jesus Christ is Lord and Lord over all of life. This podcast is available on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and Google. Just search for The Worldview Minute and you can subscribe there. Now let us turn our minds and our hearts to the preaching of God's Word. Let's pray. Lord God, we pause again this morning to thank you that you have spoken to us in your word. And I ask that as your word is declared, that your spirit, he would be here, active among us, imparting life to us. Lord, if not by your grace and by your spirit, we are hopeless. Meet us here this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. The idea of of blessing or receiving a good gift, something that you don't really have a right to, is an idea that runs throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New. And one of the reasons for that is, is who doesn't want to receive a good gift? In fact, many of you in this room today may receive a gift for Father's Day. And who doesn't want to be blessed? And there is a sense in which all of life is a blessing from God. That even though we reside under the curse of sin and death, and that this world is bent and broken, that we are still confronted day by day, morning by morning, with the mercies of our Lord and Savior. To live in God's universe is to live in the theater of His glory. And so we experience His goodness and His blessings every minute of every day. And so the idea of blessing is really central to the Christian faith, because this whole universe is a blessing. And yet, we need to be very careful with a message like this, like titled it is this morning, to obtain a blessing. I took those words right out of 1 Peter chapter 3. These words are inspired by God. They are good words. They are true words. They are there for your encouragement. And yet, we still need to be very careful. Because the concept of blessing has been used and abused in the those claiming to be Christian, specifically by those who we would call the prosperity gospel or the word of faith movement or really much of the charismatic movement throughout the world. This is the idea that earthly blessings will come to you if you simply have enough faith. That if you find a promise in the Bible, you can just name it and then you can claim it and God will automatically give it to you. This in This encourages us to treat God as if he is a vending machine or a genie that can just grant us whatever wishes that we have. Some of the most egregious examples of this would be the idea of many, a false preacher who you can find on the TV who says, if you give me X amount of money, God will give it back to you seven times over. It's right there in the Bible. You can see it for yourself. So send me that seed money, that check. The prosperity gospel promises health, wealth, and success to anyone who has enough faith 
and who does the right thing. And thus you can seek your best life now. This type of teaching is appealing because, again, who doesn't want to be blessed? Who would rather be cursed in this room than blessed? And it's also easy to fall into because a cursory reading of the Bible shows you that God promises blessings again and again and again. There are really just a lot of those kind of passages. And it is those who see that clear manipulation of the prosperity gospel, how it perverts the true gospel, that we have sometimes overcorrected. We look at the biblical passages like here in 1 Peter 3, and we tend to spiritualize them. That God has no interest whatsoever in giving earthly blessings to his people. And we think that this will protect us from the prosperity gospel, but all it really does is seed the ground to them. They say, you can have those passages, we're going to ignore them, which just leaves people vulnerable to it. And it also forces an outside authority onto the text of Scripture. Material blessings truly are a gift from God. And God does give them. And sometimes he even gives them as a snare and a trap to sinful individuals. But everything good we have comes from the hand of our Father. Such blessings truly are meaningless without Christ, without the promise of eternal life. But material things are not our enemy, but they also cannot be our idols. This is why I'm constantly driving you to read the Bible and to read it in its own context. And when I say that, there are really two primary contexts you have to read any given passage that you would come across. The first is the immediate context. What is going on around these verses? Well, 1 Peter chapter 3 is surrounded with passages about the suffering of a Christian. We're going to spend the next several weeks here, right on the heels of talking about getting blessed by God, dealing with the reality that Christians suffer. So in no way should you read this passage as a promise that your life is going to be blessed and easy no matter what. Because Peter moves right from this into the suffering of Christians. But we also have to read every passage in the context of the entirety of Scripture. In the context of the covenants, in Christ's work, and where we are in the storyline of Scripture. So you must read the Old Testament blessings in light of Christ's work. But you also have to read the New Testament blessings in light of God's creative work. And that he's bringing a new creation through Christ. What do I mean by that? Well, God created the world physical and he declared it good. Physical doesn't equal bad. The Garden of Eden was more full of material blessings than any of us have ever experienced, and that was not the problem. And the new creation, the new heavens, and the new earth will also be spiritual and physical and filled with more blessings than we can even possibly imagine. So that's not the problem either. Moreover, Christ came in the flesh, not as a disembodied spirit. Physicality is not the issue here. So if you want to avoid the traps of many false teachings of our day, Remember that context is king, and the Bible provides its own context for us to understand it. It gives us the framework for all of life. And so today we're going to talk about how to obtain a blessing from the Lord. And this passage is sandwiched in between calls to submit to, your, to the emperor, to masters, to husbands, and then we get this little section about blessing, and then suffering. Suffering, suffering, suffering. So something to look forward to in the coming weeks. Blessing is found here today 
primarily by controlling your tongue and is intimately tied to living righteously. What is the blessing Peter is offering the church? It's tied to controlling your tongue and living righteously. So let's look at this a little more closely. Obtaining God's blessing. Verses 8 through the first half of chapter, or verse 10. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and to see good days. So Peter says here, finally, and like any good preacher, he says finally, and he's nowhere near uh, the end. But the finally here isn't really so much that. He's really saying in summary. In summary of everything I've just talked about, I'm going to tell you a distilled version of the ethic of what it means to be a Christian. What does it mean to live as a chosen people, a holy nation, a forgiven people, as the temple of God on earth? What does it mean to live that way? This is the basic Christian ethic. Unity of mind. This unity of mind does not mean shallow agreement for the sake of unity, but that Christians, despite all of our differences and our disagreements, we have this unified um, reality that we live in. That Christ is Lord over everything. That Christ died. That Christ rose again. That Christ is coming back. That we are to be honest with ourselves about our differences, but that we have something more fundamental in common. He says brotherly love towards one another, tender hearts and humble minds, humility, being willing to take that lesser task, to never look at a task and say, that's beneath me. It's not. The Lord worked on my heart on this in seminary. One of my jobs in seminary is during the summers, the hot summers of Louisville, Kentucky, I would drive around and and take out all the garbages from the outdoor garbage cans and it was vomit-inducing sometime. And I'd often think to myself, driving around campus, why me? And then I came to the conclusion, why not me? I'm not below this. This is the heart of what it means to be a Christian. Humility. For Christ operated thus in going to the cross. It was not beneath Him to go and to die for those He loved. Peter then directs us to, how do we interact with outsiders? Do not return evil for evil, but we bless those who hate us. Again, the example of Christ. His own explicit teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. Bless those who hate you. Pray for them. We are called to live righteously, even and especially when we are wronged. We've been dealing with this the last several weeks in these submission passages. The mark of a Christian at the heart of our ethic is that we do not seek our own vengeance, but we trust the Lord to get vengeance for us. That may sound bad to you, but God is a good judge. We trust His judgment. You never need to seek your own vengeance because the Lord is a good and righteous judge. So you bless instead of curse. And then Peter cites Psalm 34. Whoever desires to love life and to see good days. As I was studying this passage this week, I paused on that uh, phrase. Whoever desires to love life and to see good days. Who doesn't desire that? 
Like, who doesn't desire to love life in the see good days? Who doesn't wake up, or who wakes up in the morning and says, man, I really want to hate my life today, and I really hope it's a terrible day? Do any of you do that? No? We all long for and strive to love our lives and to see good days. Just about every decision you make in one form or another is an effort to have a good day and to love your own life. Sometimes you will choose sacrifice and hardship because you see something on the other side of that that you want. The athlete who disciplines himself, who gets up early and works until his body is about to collapse, does so because he's running for a prize that he thinks is worth it because he loves that. He thinks his life will finally be worth it. We all make decisions in the pursuit of happiness, seeking the good life. And many offer a path to that. There are many options that say, if you go this way, you will love your life. You will have good days. And again, if we're we're honest, most of those paths are absolutely full of it. They don't work with what is called right now a, a mental health crisis in our nation. We should realize that many people have gone along these paths and they don't work. They don't. Again, I could read to you, just like I did for the Father's Day thing, a list of findings from different studies that will tell you, point blank, they're not working. We've never been more medicated. We've never been more depressed. We've never had families so weak. We've never just been so blessed materially, but been so utterly sick. Evil lies to us and says, go this way, it'll work for you, and it doesn't. I desire to love life. I desire to see good days. As a parent, I want my children to love life. I want my children to see good days. I'm preparing them to see dark days, but I want them to see good days. I desire you, my church, to love your life. I want you to see good days. I want my family to see that. I want my neighbors to have that. I want my nation to have that. What is at the heart of obtaining such a blessing? Because that's what Peter's driving at here. And I'll note that it is not just a blanket faith that Someday things are just going to get better. So you just got to believe and you just got to keep going. Here's the basic principle. The more you live in line with truth, with God's truth, in general, the better life will go with you. The more you live in line with truth, that is reality, the less you're fighting against reality, the better things will go for you in general. There are no guarantees to success, to wealth, or to being pain-free, but you do in this life reap what you sow. There's cause and effect in this world. And the only thing that really upturns that cause and effect is the grace of God because you have caused your own demise, but God shows you grace. And so God has given us instructions on how to live rightly. And living rightly sows certain seeds that will come to fruition later in your life. So we've talked about this before, but take, take the two different paths here. That's, that's the Christian path here. We have a very popular path in our world today that I call the victimhood mentality, that you internalize a status that you are the victim. 
Well, if you sow those seeds, if you view all of life that you are always being oppressed and everyone else is oppressing you, what are going to be the fruit of living such a way? You're going to hate life and you're going to be alone because everybody's harming you all the time. And we have a bunch of people walking around today who live this way, they hate life, and they can't have any meaningful relationships. And now there's a mental health crisis because they're being lied to again and again. Because you will lash out if you think you're the victim again and again. You will lash out and you will seek vengeance on your own. And when you do that, no one will want to be around you. You will live self-righteous and sad life all by yourself as a miserable person. I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm saying that because I don't want that to be your lot in life. The evidence, again, is all around you. And if you want more of this evidence, I'm going to dive deeply into this when we get into Proverbs in the fall. If you, but if you internalize the gospel, that you are a sinner saved by grace, that you will be wronged, but that you should bless your enemies and not seek your own vengeance, that will fundamentally change every relationship you have. It won't make your relationship perfect. It won't make your spouse perfect. He or she won't treat you perfectly. But you will realize that you're not perfect either. Your life, your relationships will be marked with an underlying peace. And so the path forward is offered here that God is offering blessings and these blessings, hear me on this, are but a foretaste of Christ's kingdom as it invades this world. So that's where we get wrong. We, we, we start to idolize these things. Well, I, I have to have this. And it's really dangerous whenever we preach or teach on marriage or relationships. People say, hey, I look, I see, I see my marriage isn't like that and I, and I want it to be like that. And then they start idolizing it and they get discontent and they actually do the exact opposite of what I'm saying here. Like, oh, my marriage has, isn't as good as it could be. Well, no one's is. But deal with your own heart first. Because if you don't, you'll be sowing the seeds of destruction. These blessings point forward to the new reality that is coming when Christ returns. And they are utterly, these blessings are utterly nothing without Christ. Without his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his return. And so you should seek to love this life and seek to see good days. In God's sovereignty, you will have terrible days. But there is nothing with, wrong with longing to see the good days. In fact, you're commanded to do that right here. And when you don't have that good day, you're stuck in the bad one, and your heart aches, know that it is but a dull ache for that lost paradise. Is that dull ache for the kingdom that is coming. And when you reinterpret it that way, your heart will sing with longing for the coming of your Savior. How do we obtain this blessing? Peter gives what amounts to two broad instructions for your conduct. Control your tongue and live righteously. How do I obtain this blessing? Control your tongue and live righteously. Look at verse 10 again. Whoever desires to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Whoever desires to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceit. The immediate link here is to, to getting that good life is to control your tongue. Easy concept, 
hard to live out. How we use our words determines much of our life. A consistent theme throughout Scripture is this. Your words matter. You will be judged for every word that you say and every word that you tweet or text. None will escape the standard of God's judgment. And this is important for us to remember because in a social media world, we live in the age of the hot take. This just happened and I need to get my hottest take out right now with that quick tweet or whatever it is. And boy, have I seen some of the most vilest sin done on social media by a Christian trying to offer a quick, hot take. The Bible says, be slow to speak or slow to tweet. We should take heed. Your words matter, and how you speak is a moral question. So why are words so important? Why does God care so much about how you speak? I think the reason for that is that perhaps in no more obvious way do you and I reflect the image of God in that we speak like he does. We communicate. Christ is said to be the very word of God. God spoke this universe into existence. That God has given us his word, the scriptures, so that we might live according to it. And thus God speaks truthfully. God speaks in such a way that he imparts life and grace. And then he created man in his own image. And unlike anything else in all of creation, we speak like our creator speaks. There's so many different theories about where did language come from? It doesn't make sense because nothing else in the universe talks like we talk because we're like God. And nothing else is, yeah, your dog can understand you and he wags his tail, but he's, he's not doing the same thing you're doing. Because he's not God, or he's not like God. Unlike anything else in creation, humans speak. We communicate ideas. We communicate our identities, our feelings, through speech. We seek truth through debate, speech. We use words. And brothers and sisters, we have the power of life and death through how we speak to one another. Those who only respond with harsh words in their relationships to their friends and family sow seeds of death. Those who encourage, who build up, who show tenderness and mercy through their words sow the seeds of life. And so, so much of Scripture is spent laying out clear guidelines for our speech. Lies are not allowed because God speaks truth. To speak a lie is to speak something that is unreal. It is an attack upon reality. It is an attack upon the very words of God. Because where did reality come from? God spoke. To lie is to set yourself in opposition to God. And thus our speech is always to be marked by truth. This is one reason... You and I can never, never knowingly compromise with the so-called preferred pronouns movement. Because it's a lie. You are not allowed to lie. If you run into that in your secular occupations, my encouragement to you is this. Immediately make it about your faith. Are you asking me to go against my personal religious beliefs? because that will offer you more protection than anything else. Remember that. We cannot speak falsehoods. We must speak truth. 
Additionally, we are to control our tongues. We must be slow to speak. As a pastor whose profession is tied to words, I know I need to do a little bit better at this. I need to train my heart and my mind to think and not to react. For how we use our tongue sets the course of our lives. Proverbs reminds us that a gentle word turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A gentle word turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Now there are times in life for hard words, for confrontation, for rebuke. These are marked uh, areas of the ministry of Moses, of the prophets, of the apostles, and even Christ himself. And yet, our speech should never be unnecessarily just trying to get a reaction out of somebody else. Just speaking that harsh word. How many times have you given a harsh reaction, a quick word, and you ended up in a fight that lasted much longer than it ever should have? And by the time you get to the end of it, you're like, what were we even fighting about? This is the power of words. But if we would train our hearts and our minds to slow down a little bit, we could weigh our words and provide a truthful and soft answer that doesn't poke and prod others to greater strife than is necessary. So let's consider the obvious application here. Ask yourself this. Are my relationships marked by a love of life? Are my relationships a blessing? Are they marked by death? Is your marriage dying? Could it be that one or both of you is not controlling your tongue? Could that be a contributing factor? If you're honest, the answer is yes, definitely. In your parenting, is your child appearing to wilt and be utterly discouraged, parents? Are your corrections often too harsh and knee-jerk? And you never have a soft answer. This doesn't mean don't discipline your kids, but how do you initially engage them? That in your zealousness to point them to the truth, do you tear them down and do you never build them up? You're sowing seeds. If your relationships are marked by death, the first place to look is at your own mouth. How am I communicating? If you'd like to see life where death is currently reigning, speak life through the gospel. Speak truth. Speak soft words. Thoughtful words. Speak mercy and righteousness. The second thing Peter lays out here for how to obtain a blessing and to see good days and to love life is to repent of your sins and to live righteously. Look at verses 11 and 12. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So Peter here commands a turning, a repentance from evil, and then a turning to the good, to live righteously. This is at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. Saving faith is a turning from your sin and a turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this only happens by grace through faith. There is no lasting blessing in this life or the next without this kind of repentance. You cannot cling to evil and find good life. For evil invariably leads to death. To put it succinctly, 
The good life is tied to living righteously. The good life is tied to living righteously. Now, the good life does not mean you're going to have 16 mansions and four yachts. The good life is tied to living righteously. It's tied to morality. I don't mean moralism, but living according to God's standard. This is a necessary ingredient for you to love your life, that you are seeing the world as God sees it. You cannot find the good life within. You cannot find it by expressing your truest self. You cannot find it through hedonism. You cannot find it through experiences of pleasure and whatnot. All of those things are but a smoke of pleasure that then fades away and the guilt and the evil gnaws away at your heart. Those who want to see good days and to love life must love Christ and follow Him. The good life is a moral question. The heart of all of our problems is not culture, it's not oppression, it's not low self-esteem, it's not poor education, and it's not lack of money. The heart of all of your problems is a sin that you have and that you want to pursue in God's world. And God is holy. To those who desire to love life and to see good days, God has made it plain that you must live rightly. And you can only do that by grace through faith. And I hasten to say, none of this is a guarantee that you will have no struggles. Again, next several weeks, suffering, suffering, suffering. But you can still, in the midst of suffering, be living the good life. To love life and to see good days. If you've ever had the honor and the privilege to watch a righteous Christian suffer... I would take that person on that day over the unbelieving, wealthiest person in the world. They are loving life better. If you've ever had the opportunity to go to a funeral of an unbeliever and you were actually paying attention to what was going on, you would note the utter hopelessness. One has hope, the other doesn't. The anguish, the anxiety, the depression of our current age is an object lesson for us if we want to see it. The deaths of despair are at an all-time high. Mass shootings, it seems like every other week. We're medicated to the nth degree. And the good life just keeps slipping through our fingers despite all the material blessings that we have. Why? Because we hate life. We hate the one who has given life to us. And we love our sin. And we are reaping what we have sown in God's world. The wise man or the wise woman looks and sees that and says, I'm not going to go that way. There's a better way to live life. Young men and women, listen to this. Grow up, you're going to go out of the home and there's going to be just a plethora of paths before you that you can pick. And you can read the data just like I'm reading there. You can look at people 10 years ahead on, on that path than you, and you can see the hollowness and the emptiness. You can see it doesn't work. They're not finding the good life that they were promised. So be wise. Don't go that way. It doesn't work. The good life in this life points to Christ's kingdom. It's a sneak peek at the blessings of God. I was, the other day, I was standing, standing on the dock, looking out at a lake. The sun was setting. 
My four children were splashing in the water with just sheer joy upon their face. Smile over my wife when she was to my right, my closest friend, my closest companion, some friends nearby, and I was struck in that moment again by the blessings of God, of his mercies, of his kindness to me, a sinner. I come to church Every week here, we sit down, we have elder meetings, and I see the hand of God again and again in, in building Christ Bible Church these last two years. You are literally surrounded by the blessings of your Maker. You just got to open your eyes and see them. You and I are beset with the blessings of God. The heavens declare His glory. Love life and seek good days by seeking Christ and putting Him at the center of everything you do. Because this world is the theater of God's glory. Now, like Peter, I'm going to say finally, but I mean it. Peter points us forward. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. The eyes of the Lord are on those who live righteously, by grace, through faith. He actively cares for them. He cares for them, Christ says, more than the sparrow of the air or the lily of the field. He cares for you. He provides for you. He knows your life and he knows your needs better than you do. And like a loving father, he watches out for you. And he hears your prayers. And the Lord will hasten down from his throne to gather you up in his arms. For he is a good father. But his face is set against the wicked. He will judge them. And part of his judgment is in this life that they get everything they want and none of it satisfies. The good life is tied inseparably to walking in faith in Christ. To live for God by grace through faith in his Son. To seek to love life and to see good days. And to know that those good days, even in our darkest day, are coming. They are promised to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what are we to take from this passage? This. God offers you blessings, and it's not wrong to seek them, as long as you don't turn them into God replacements. But as you receive a blessing from the hand of our Almighty God, give it back in thanks. You must also know that none of these blessings are possible or worthwhile apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the cross... It is the resurrection, it is the second coming that motivate our lives and give us hope. They are to shape how you live. And as we live these cross-shaped lives, we are living the good life, even in the dark days. And as we submit more and more to God's revealed truth, we are blessed. And we should recognize that. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that in your word you have spoken to us, and that by you, your word we have a lamp unto our feet that we might live as you have instructed us to live. Lord, I pray that you would increase in the hearts and minds of the people here today a love for life in your world, a desire to see good days through Christ. Help us to turn from sin and evil. Help us to control our tongues and to speak life. Help us to repent of our sins and to throw ourselves upon the rock that is Christ. 
And that as we journey throughout this life, that we would have our eyes fixed upon his coming. Come quickly, Lord. Amen.